Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens, and they kept repeating to me over and over again, Simultv.com, Simultv.com. What's Simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a Simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Roswell in the 21st century is a detailed re-examination of the Roswell UFO crash case. I have studied the evidence for more than 30 years, and I now put that evidence under a microscope in a cold case examination of the facts. These facts might not please everyone. They are based on my comprehensive investigation that took years to complete, but they do lead to the conclusion that whatever fell was not built on Earth. The best of Project Blue Book is based on the 22-year-long investigation conducted by the Air Force. But the book goes far beyond that, bringing in evidence that was uncovered long after Project Blue Book was ordered terminated. Using facts that were unavailable to the Air Force investigators, I was able to prove that the Air Force manipulated the data and drew unrealistic conclusions about the UFO sightings reported to them. My different perspective shows there was more to Project Blue Book than even the Air Force knew. Both books are available at Amazon.com. Join Patty Conklin and Healing Within Radio each week. More than entertainment, Healing Within offers educational, useful tools for everyday life. Listen for help overcoming fear, anxiety, and depression. Patty knows about eliminating cancer, MS, dementia, Parkinson's, and a host of illnesses that we face every day. Life can be good. Life is good. All you need are simple tools to start changing your life. Start right now by visiting pattyconklin.com, P-A-T-T-I-C-O-N-K-L-I-N. No matter where you are in the world, you can work with Patty through Skype, 
phone, or in person visiting one of our retreats in Georgia. Visit pattyconklin.com today or call our offices at 404-474-0086. That's pattyconklin.com or call 404-474-0086. Welcome to the Connecting with Coincidence radio show with Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, bringing together the world's synchronicity experts to help you use meaningful coincidences to develop spiritually, psychologically, and practically. For more information, put Connecting with Coincidence into your web browser to find the book, website, Psychology Today blog, YouTube channel, and Facebook page. And now, here is the host of the Connecting with Coincidence radio show, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. Hello, 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 all of you out there in Coinsiderland. We are glad you are with us. You are loyal fans again. And that includes you, Maureen. We are looking into all aspects of coincidences with people from around the world. Spread the word about the show, because word of mouth is how we grow. And here's an idea for all of you out there in Coinsiderland. Think of humanity of humankind as a big giant organism made up of each of us. Each of us is a cell in our giant. Our humankind giant has both a collective consciousness and a collective unconscious, as well as a collective self-observer. Each human mind has a self-observer, the capacity to, to observe its own thinking. We can strengthen our own personal self-observers in several ways. Meditation accelerates the distance between the workings of the mind and the ability to observe them. Psychotherapy requires active collaboration between the self-observers of both patient and therapist. Coincidence understanding depends on being able to observe and connect mind content and context content. And under the right condition, mind-expanding substances like psychedelics accelerate the opportunity to look at a regular reality from a heightened perspective. So humankind also has the potential for a collective self-observer. Humankind can develop its self-observer through an amalgamation of the multiple methods we have been creatively evolving. The terror of environmental destruction is forcing many people especially the young, to step outside conventional thinking to observe the mind of humankind. The coronavirus is activating the collective self-observer for all of us. Pippa Ehrlich, our guest today, is a natural history filmmaker and award-winning environmental journalist specializing in the field of marine science and conservation. She has worked with some of the world's top marine researchers and underwater photographers and is the editor of the acclaimed photographic book Sea Change, Primal Joy and the Art of Underwater Tracking. She has created her first feature documentary, My Octopus Teacher from my octopus teacher, her teacher from her underwater adventures. Pippa, welcome to the show. Hi, Bunny. Thanks very much for having me. 
Well, I'm glad we, we're getting to do this because um, that octopus is quite a story. And that's how I found, found you. Somebody told me that, that uh, your friend Craig had been uh, developing a relationship with an octopus off the coast of South Africa. And I wanted to know more about it because uh, I'm connected more with trees. Other people have connections with grass. Other people connections with birds or, or insects. Here we need people who are also connecting with marine life, and you have, and Craig has. But tell us about that fish coincidence that you experienced in 2015. Um, well, two, think, yeah, it was, it was it 2015. Was, <laughs> Originally, that's when it started. Um, and I think the work that we do is very much about connecting not just with specific animals, but with about with an ecosystem. Uh, we dive in the kelp forest off Cape Town, and we go into the water every single day. And um, I've been working with this amazing group of people called the Sea Change Project, one of whom is Craig. Um, and I met him through a friend of mine called Ross Freilink in 2015. And Ross had been telling me about these incredible dives he'd been going on um for a really long time and I was intrigued and eventually I convinced him to to take me with and I've been diving here since you know for for about 13 14 years so I was very very familiar with the kelp forest but on this particular morning it was kind of a gray overcast day and we walked down to the ocean um and the thing that was worrying me a little bit is, you know, the water here gets down to eight degrees sometimes. It's generally about, I don't know, 14 on a warm day in winter and a little bit warmer in summer. But it's my whole free diving career up until then, I'd always worn a wetsuit. The thing about this day is that we weren't allowed to wear wetsuits. Um, and we spent some time walking along the shore and, and Craig, who was kind of leading the expedition, showed me some pretty incredible things that I'd never seen before. Um, and I kind of just got the feeling that, hold on, I've been diving here for a really long time already, but this is a world that I really don't know. Um, and he was looking at, at details that and animals that I had never really given a second thought to. And then the really strange thing that happened was we were moving around in a very, very shallow area. And I was kind of standing by myself in waist-deep water. Um, and I looked up, and I saw this tiny, tiny thing swimming towards me. Uh, and it just keeps coming and coming and coming. And I put my hands into the water, and next thing, it swam right into my hands to the point where I could literally lift it up out of the water, creating a little pool in my palms. Um, and that was crazy to me because it was this little, very, very small shark called a, a shy shark. It must have been about a week old. Um, and I've actually, my, my specialty, my journalism specialty is sharks because I worked exclusively with shark researchers for about four and a half years. Um, and the crazy thing about sharks is they have superpowers. They know exactly what's in the water around them because they've got a way of picking up electronic signals using the lateral lines on their body. 
Could you describe that a little bit more, please? The lateral lines? And how they, how they use the lateral lines with uh, their yep. electromagnetic capacities. Exactly. So, so these are lines that run down either side of their body, and it allows them to pick up any kind of vibration in the water. They can, but they can also pick up you know, the heartbeat of another animal. And they can oh. tell whether the animal's struggling. They can tell whether the animal uh, is big or small. They have a very, very good sense of what's in the water with them long before they've seen it. Um, could you just do you understand the mechanism by which they do that? Is it kind of like a bat sending out uh, sound waves? I think that they're actually picking up the electricity created by by your heart, the um, magnetic force. They're picking up the magnetic force, yeah, because the heart and the brain too, but the heart puts out more electromagnetic waves than the brain does, and they could be picking that up. And there's a whole study thing called heart math where people are looking at human electromagnetic uh, capacities from the heart and trying to be able to use it to, for health purposes and health and diagnosis. Uh, so the, the, the shark is picking up heart electromagnetic activities, but it also can pick up size somehow. I guess it goes from the heart size, perhaps, the strength of the current from the heart of the other animal to, to make some guess about how big, the, how big the animal is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and also the way that the animal's moving. So if an animal's struggling in the water, they'll pick that up immediately as well. Just from the kinds of vibrations that that animal's giving off. That's really cool. That's really cool. So you know, so here this this baby shark uh, swam into your hand, and the baby shark presumably has some of that electro that electromagnetic capacity also. Well, it must. So so that's what I found so interesting because um, I've seen these sharks. I've seen the adults. I'd I'd never it had never occurred to me that they were so tiny. I'd never seen one that size. Um, and the fact that it swam right up to me, something that you know, it could see me as well. The water in the shallows there was very clear, so it just seemed very, very strange. And then well, coupled with... Yeah, let's look at that, because yeah. uh, that, that baby shark knew something about you. Well, maybe. I mean, and that's the interesting thing. And I think when you say that, that our hearts and our brains create a kind of electromagnetic force, I wonder if that, when we talk about... Uh, how someone's energy affects us. Yeah. I wonder if there's a link to the science behind it. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I, I, I go to dance. Uh, I won't, can't do it now. Um, but at dance, I pick up electromagnetic waves. It's a, it's a field that the dancers create with their activities, their heartbeats, and the rest of their body that uh, we all get immersed in. It's kind of like an ocean of electromagnetic waves, different from the sea, of course. So it's there. We have it. I pick it up. Other people do, too. And the shark, this shark, we're, we're coming to the end of this segment. We'll continue the rest of it, rest of your story at the, in the next segment. But that shark was picking up something about you. And my guess right now, before, and we'll see what you think, on the next segment, my guess is that shark was able to pick out something of a of a compatible frequency coming off of you, compatible with sharks. That that shark 
could recognize you as, let me say, a lansman, as someone who is somehow like that shark. You've been listening to, you're listening to Connecting with Coincidence. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. We are talking with Pippa Ehrlich about sharks and sea animals. Are you looking for psychic services that empower as well as provide accurate information? Jenny is a third-generation psychic with extensive esoteric training. A practicing professional intuitive for over 30 years, her accuracy is astounding. While most psychics can read what will happen to you if you don't change directions, Jenny understands the future is subjective. While there is a river of time we all traverse, that river has many waves, eddies, currents, and tributaries from which to choose. With Jenny e. as your guide, you can explore the many possible outcomes in the river of time and navigate your course to the one of your liking. Take control of your future. Book your life-changing session with Jenny today at www.gen-e.net. That's www.gen-e.net. Mission Evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals, as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality. Is formulated from zoolite, whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit VitalityHappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME. In the mid-1990s, I was approached by a young woman who believed she'd been abducted by alien creatures. In conversations, I began a journey that took me not into the world of interstellar travel, but back through time into past lives. Under hypnotic regression administered by a professional rather than describing abduction, Jenny, as she is called, begins to tell a tale of horror in 19th century London. Her unbelievable past life seems to connect with Jack the Ripper and other monsters of the past. Throughout the session, Jenny provides a rich detail of her past lives that links some of the most horrific killers in history to one another. Using the resources of a university library in the pre-internet's day, I was able to verify some of Jenny's claims. She has knowledge that wasn't readily available to a suburban housewife. Does this prove the reality of her tales? Conversations attempts to answer that and other provocative questions. Conversations is available at Amazon.com. Welcome back to CC with BB. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Weidman, MD, and we're talking with Pippa Ehrlich, who's the editor, 
the editor of the acclaimed photographic book, Sea Change, Primal Joy, and the Art of Underwater Tracking. And when we last left off our adventure in the waters outside of South, on the waters off of South Africa, Pippa Ehrlich was standing in a shallow area and a little baby black shark was swimming into her hand. Yeah, it was a, a little dark shy shark. Um, and, and they're called shy sharks because when they get a fright, they curl up in a ball and put their tail over their eyes. So they're, they're, <laughs> <laughs> they're really sweet little animals. Um, and before we left, you asked me if I thought that, that the shark was picking up kind of my, my shark compatibility and that's why it swam towards me. And I, I wouldn't go so far as to say I know the answer to that, but what I can say is, um, something about the way we went into the water that, that day, we were extremely calm and Craig had kind of guided us through different layers of nature. So I think it, by, by that time I was extremely present um, and extremely grateful to be there. And I think that combined with the fact that the water's cold and cold water kind of drops your cortisol levels and makes you feel very calm. And I think maybe that openness and that presence uh, made my energy compatible to something that's small and that vulnerable. Good. Good. Okay, then what happened? So that was in February 2015, and about and I, I didn't see I didn't go diving with Craig again, um, but what happened a year and a half later is I kind of was going through a very very bad time. Uh, I wasn't enjoying my job so much and I was really, really stressed and overworked and uh, all of the coping mechanisms that I relied on uh, had sort of stopped working and then a good friend of mine uh, fell into a coma and that was kind of the straw that broke the, the camel's back and I started experiencing panic attacks and I wasn't sleeping and it was a very scary time of my life. What happened? To, what happened to your friend? I, mean, I didn't understand that. Uh, he um, passed away a few weeks later. Uh, he went into a coma under very mysterious circumstances, um, and it's a story we still don't understand the the full of the full extent of. But he he was found on his couch. Um, went into ICU and died three weeks later. And it's a very strange thing when someone you care about is in that condition and you wake up every day and the first thing that pops into your mind is, um, is this person going to make it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, okay. and, and living with that uncertainty anyway. So. Yeah, yeah. All right, so... You, this happened with, to your friend, and you began having panic attacks. Yeah, that that combined with the fact that uh, I was just not coping with my life very well at the time, um, for a whole combination of reasons. I just uh, was under a lot of pressure at work, um, and I think I was asking a lot of questions about about what I was doing in the world and what was important to me. And I felt very out of alignment with everything. 
um, and it was creating a lot of internal stress. Uh, so I realized I, I needed to do something about that. And I spoke once again to my friend Ross and he said, well, maybe you should speak to Craig and, and start diving with him more regularly. Um, and that's what happened. I was very lucky and Craig said he would kind of mentor me a little bit and teach me about tracking in the natural world. And tracking is, uh, there are different layers to it, but really what, what Craig's done is he's spent thousands and thousands of hours in nature and he's learnt about every single animal that lives in the kelp forest and in the tidal area, intertidal area on the shore. Um, and he's learnt, taught himself about the relationships between the animals and he works with a lot of scientists, including my friend, uh, Dr. Yanis Lanshoff and now, for our listeners, this kelp forest is mm -hmm. off the, I believe, the west coast of the of the bottom of South Africa, uh, yeah. and and how far from Cape Town is it? Oh, I mean, I I can walk to it from my door, so it it kind of stretches the whole way around Cape Town. Okay. okay. And then hundreds of kilometers north of Cape Town to the west, and then about three hundred kilometers to the east. Okay. So. Thank. you. Good. Now we're locally localized. Good. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's a massive floating underwater forest, similar yeah. to the forest in California, but it looks quite different. Different <laughs> <laughs> Um. So, kind of under Craig's guidance, I started going out into nature every day, and I started teaching myself about the animals that I was seeing. Um. And. It was really quite a, a, a scientific process at first. Uh, it was a case of sitting down with a guidebook and writing things down and taking photographs and trying to get some kind of literacy of this environment that I was in every day. Mm -hmm. um, and I did that for six months, very intensively. One of, one of the things that Craig taught you was to be able to read the symbols in that context, in that environment, in that ecosystem, that he learned to be able to, to get the language of what was going on there by seeing tracks in the sand or in the rocks or movements around things. I can't describe it as well as you might, but what what is tracking? What does he learn and teach you? So tracking is a way of interpreting um, your environment, and, and this is specifically kind of wilderness tracking. So it works on many different layers. I mean, uh, you find very, very simple tracks. For example, when a sea snail moves along a rock, it leaves a, fa a very, very faint slime trail. And then what happens is there's a little bit of surge and bits of sand that are in the surge stick to the track. And then maybe the tide will drop. But you mm -hmm. walk down to the coast and you'll see this line stretching across a rock. And you know, okay, you can go back in time and you can tell that however many hours ago, a snail walked across here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it, it's, it, there, there are multiple levels to it. You can look at the shell of an abalone, for example. And you'll see different colors in the shell. And that gives you clues about what that animal was eating at different times in its life. And that tells you what kinds of animal, what kinds of environments it likes, depending on its size. Uh -huh. um, 
That's good. That's good. I mean, that gives us some idea. So please continue. Okay. So I've been doing this intensively for six months and then uh, Craig asked me to start working on the film with him, which I'm happy to talk about a little bit later, but and about a year into that, and now it had been very intensive, literally diving every single day, often with Craig, um, my ability to handle the cold water had increased dramatically. I mean, uh, I can dive in 10 degree water for over an hour um, with, with no problem. And wow. yeah, and then some very interesting, very, very interesting things started happening. Um, one day, so there was a time, uh, a little bit before this where I went diving actually with, with, with Ross one afternoon and I was swimming through the forest and I saw this big shy shark, but I'm not even sure if it was a shy shark. It was dark. It was almost black. And normally these animals are kind of dark brown with a very obvious pattern down their back. But this animal just looked like onyx black and its eyes were black. They were like black mirrors. And I followed it for a while. And then I kind of desperately wanted to photograph, but I didn't have my camera with me. So I swam back to the shore, taking careful note of where it was. And as I got there, my friends gasped and I turned back and I saw this giant seal like just thrashing around with what looked very much like a shark in its jaws. Um, and that seemed strange to me because it had this, you know, there's a concept in um, indigenous tracking called the, the ropes to God. And it's a sound Bushman concept. And it's the idea that um, when you start looking at an animal, and following an animal and connecting to an animal, and obviously sharks have been a very important part of my life for a long time, um, you start having experiences with that animal. The first one is having this little shark swim into my hands. Then you see that animal again, and you start to derive more meaning and more connection with it. Uh, and they talk about how every time you see the animal, it forms a thread. And the more times you see it, see it the thicker the threads become and they become ropes and those ropes become your ropes to God or your ropes to a kind of bigger universal thing that, that connects things together. So this experience of, of seeing that very unusual shark and then seeing it being smashed by a seal uh, woke me up a little bit. And as you're woken up a little bit, we're coming to the end of this segment. I have found that if by paying attention to a specific other person, sometimes those threads get built up just the way you described. You're listening to Connecting with Coincidence. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. We're speaking with photographer Pippa Ehrlich, who's the editor of Sea Change, Primal Joy in the Art of Underwater Tracking. We're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. 
How would your life change if you could develop the business and personal skills that you need in order to make more money? Do you want to learn how to achieve your big life goals faster? Then go to findhiddenmoney.com and get the Goal For It online course. The course teaches you how you can set and achieve your biggest goals while completely overcoming the roadblocks to your goals so that you can realize your dreams and imagine more success. Go to findhiddenmoney.com. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035 extension 143 and on Skype, Xzone Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, always remember Exxon Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Memorable dynamic presentations are a not-so-secret weapon in the business world. Do you have a powerful message that must be shared, but you haven't found a way to deliver that message? Do you want to be known as a top public speaker who gets amazing results? Are you ready to create and deliver your powerful message? Thomas Hides can help you create and deliver your speech to get the results you desire. Visit IconQuality.com. Welcome back to CC with BB. I'm connecting with Coincidence. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. We are speaking with photographer, journalist Pippa Ehrlich. And when we last left Pippa and her story, one of her favorite sharks was in the jaws of a seal. What happened after that? Uh, well, I mean, I was very sad that I that I hadn't got a photograph of that shark because I really wasn't sure what it was. It was just so unusual. And they do think that these animals might, uh, similar species might be breeding and creating hybrids. But 
uh, I guess we'll never know the answer to that because that poor shark met its end. Um, and a couple of days later, I was diving with Craig and I came across this very strange, well, we came across this, uh, the, the complete opposite of the shark I'd seen a few days before, a white ghostly shark. I mean, it was so pale and it was definitely a cat shark, which is one of the more common species that we see. But it was almost like an albino. It's, it had bright blue eyes and the stripes that ran down its body were almost red. Wow. Um, yeah. And it was very, very sick, but also very, very relaxed, extremely relaxed around us. Um, it kind of struck me as a Quasimodo type character. Um, and Craig said something to me after that. He said, when you start seeing animals like this in nature, you need to think about what is mirroring in your psyche. Um, and I gave that some thought, and I thought about, well, this, this, this dark, mysterious animal is obviously representing, you know, the parts of myself that have been staying in the shadows for a very long time that are now coming up, and that's been cr creating a lot of stress and anxiety for me. Um, and the pale, emaciated shark, he said, is a symbol of the kind of damaged parts of your psyche, the parts that need healing. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, and that's, then I also that's, that's so fundamentally synchronicity in action that the environment reflects what's going on in your mind. And it is probably the, that mind context and connection is probably the single most lesson the best lesson that comes from the study of coincidences, what Craig just told you and what you're just telling us about. Please continue. And it's, it's, it's this idea that um, tracking is about signs in the natural world, which are the obvious things that you see, like the mollusk tracks, but it's also about recognizing symbols. Um, and I think it's James Hollis who talks about numinous symbols that are representations of your psyche. Um, yeah. And I had never thought like that before. You know, I was a science journalist. These were all new concepts that I was really quite cynical of. But uh, because I was having all of these incredible experiences, I was becoming more and more open to these new ideas. And I was also starting to find it extremely uh, scary in some ways, but also reassuring in others. And what happened a few days after we saw the what, movie. What was, what was scary to you about this concept? I guess to start thinking that strange things are happening in your life might have some meaning can be overwhelming. You can start asking a whole lot of questions that you've never asked yourself before. Yeah. Yeah. And one of those questions has to be is that my mind is not so separate from what's around me. Yeah. And exactly. that, that breaks all your scientific training. It really does. It really does. And, and it, there are all kinds of uh, kind of indigenous ways of understanding this. Um, and it might even be philosophical ways, but it's, it's not something that we can explain through science. No, not yet anyway. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What I'm trying to do is make it more scientific because it's it's an observation that's been made many, many times. You're doing it again. So we need to be able to apply the methods of science to understand how it works. And it fundamentally breaks the current views of, of science is that mind is separate from environment and we're not. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. And the end of the story, which is quite a happy ending, is a few days after this, uh, Craig called me to say, you won't believe it. But um, today, I sat for hours and I watched a baby shark hatching out of its egg. Um, and for me, at that time, given everything that I was going through and, and the kind of healing and uh, self-exploration that I was doing, that idea of a new life was very reassuring. And, yeah, and it, yeah, yeah. It yeah. made me feel really good. Yeah, it made you feel really good. Now, I don't know how much you're willing to or able to talk about it, but that albino, almost blue-eyed, red-lined, uh, sick shark represented something in you. How far can you tell us about what you saw it representing in you? I mean, I think it's. I think all of us have a story about ourselves um, that we tell ourselves. Yep. Uh, that is not always so positive or not always so whole, you know? We hold on to, to past pain or things that we experienced as children um, and those things that maybe we haven't even fully examined, but they start to define who we become mm -hmm. further and further into our lives. Um, and what's powerful when you start to look at that stuff and when you when you see a symbol of an animal like that, and at the same time, it was so... It was so gentle and so calm, uh, yeah. so accepting of us. You, you, it gives you quite a lot of self-compassion. Mm. Um, and it maybe gives you space to let go of those parts of yourself that aren't serving you. Very good. Very good. And then you heard about the birth of a baby shark that Craig saw, and uh, that allowed you to consider yourself here another symbol. Uh, a shark is being reborn, and maybe I am too. Exactly, exactly, and and it's very very powerful when you can when you can start to see signs and symbols in nature or whatever environment you're most deeply immersed in and most literate in, um, and you can start to track things back to having specific meaning for you, uh, it's really, really powerful. And you start to feel like you're having a conversation with the environment. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, given um, uh, the eco-destruction uh, humankind is doing, and uh, given uh, the, what the coronavirus is teaching us, is that we are all much more part of something than we have thought, I have to consider your experience uh, with the albino-like shark as a symbol of maybe something humankind is having to think about also. Yeah. Well, I mean, a friend of mine wrote a very, very powerful blog a couple of days ago, and it starts off with um, patient zero has been sick for a very, very long time. And she goes on to speak about the earth and how the earth is, has got a fever, um, her veins are clogged up with pollution, um, 
and when you start, and, and her ability to self-heal is significantly diminished. And when you start thinking of the whole planet in the same way that we think of our human bodies, it does give you a different perspective on coronavirus. And what is that? That we're part of a bigger system um, and that the system's out of balance and that maybe this is the first time that it's really become life-threatening for people in every corner of the planet. It's not just, you know, people being affected by global warming on remote islands in the Pacific. We're all being directly affected. Um, and I think that, that, that makes us ask some very difficult questions. And at the same time, uh, planes aren't flying. That's having a huge impact, a positive impact on our carbon emissions. I, I don't know if you've looked at the images of China's skyscape where a couple of months ago you couldn't see anything, but now the atmosphere is clear. Um, there are dolphins swimming up canals in Venice. <laughs> <laughs> so what I find so exciting about that, and, I'm, and I don't want to undermine the, the kind of seriousness of this virus, but nature heals really quickly. Give her a chance and she takes up that space with <laughs> a lot of enthusiasm and, and very, very fast. Uh, you're being able to say that the coronavirus is nature's way of healing itself by maybe having a fever that uh, will help break the, the pathological problems going on in it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to say it exactly like that because <laughs> I, a lot of people are suffering because of this. Um, but I think it is worth... Systems require balance. And the system is clearly out of balance and has been for a long time. But for billions of years before that, it, it, there was this very sophisticated biological process that happened to create that balance. And it's sophisticated on a level that we can never imagine, you know. And, and we're going to continue with this in our, in our next segment. Uh, you're listening to Connecting with Coincidence. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. We are speaking with Pippa Ehrlich who is the editor of Sea Change, Primal Joy, and the Art of Underwater Tracking. Simultv.com, Simultv.com. What's Simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a Simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. 
Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about SIMULTV.com. SIMULTV.com. In the mid-1990s, I was approached by a young woman who believed she'd been abducted by alien creatures. In conversations, I began a journey that took me not into the world of interstellar travel, but back through time into past lives. Under hypnotic regression administered by a professional rather than describing abduction, Jenny, as she is called, begins to tell a tale of horror in 19th century London. Her unbelievable past life seems to connect with Jack the Ripper and other monsters of the past. Throughout the session, Jenny provides a rich detail of her past lives that links some of the most horrific killers in history to one another. Using the resources of a university library in the pre-internet's day, I was able to verify some of Jenny's claims. She has knowledge that wasn't readily available to a suburban housewife. Does this prove the reality of her tales? Conversations attempts to answer that and other provocative questions. Conversations is available at Amazon.com. Mission Evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals, as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality. It's formulated from zoolite, whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit VitalityHappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME. Welcome, welcome back to CC with BB. I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, on Connecting with Coincidence. And we are really connecting with coincidence today with Pippa Ehrlich, who is the editor of the very beautiful book, Sea Change, Primal Joy and the Art of Underwater Tracking. Beautiful photographs, ladies and gentlemen, beautiful photographs and great text. Sea Change, Primal Joy and the Art of Underwater Tracking. Pippa, would you tell uh, our audience how they can contact uh, your website and, and get a look at this book? Yeah, so the, the best thing to do is go to www.seachangeproject.com and you can actually order the book. Uh, and if you can't get a hard copy, then there are ebooks available as well. Good, and they can also see an interview with you uh, uh, previous to the book uh, on a, one of the TV stations in Johannesburg, I guess, or it's Cape Town. Uh, in Cape Town, yes. I think Craig, Craig and I went on a show together one morning. Yeah. So they can get a look at you, too. And I, I, I liked watching that one. So and they might see that uh, to get to this. Put in sea change and you'll probably find it in your web browser. Now, we've been talking about the Earth as one thing and we as part of it. And if we take the analogy, Craig told you, that look, look uh, outside of you to see what's going on in your mind... We are now able to do that with more need than ever before as we look at what's going on around us as human beings in our context. 
people have not been able to pay enough attention to uh, the slow environmental destruction uh, because some have benefited and continued it and they're in power for the most part. But now everyone is being affected or threatened by the coronavirus. And now we're looking outside of ourselves as a human creature. I'm asking our audience and anyone who wants to listen to think of all of us as a cell in a giant human organism, humankind, uh, this organism that we are all part of and a cell, each of us is a cell within. And our minds are now focused on what's around us and what we see around us is a major threat to all of us. And we're needing to interpret that coincidence as something symbolically important to our future. Yeah, symbolically and very much practically as well, I think. And very much practically. How are you reading that, uh, this coincidence you told us about Earth being able to recover quickly, the smog going away in China, the dolphins going up into Venice? Uh, what else? Oh, I mean, I think how the most helpful way for me when I think about understanding humans as part of nature is our species as modern humans has been around for as much as 350,000 years ago. Three, 350,000 years. Um, that's the kind of oldest modern human remains that were found in Morocco a couple of years ago. From about 120,000 years ago, up until now, we've got a very, very clear record of kind of how we were, were developing and where we were living. Um, and archaeologists and anthropologists have worked together to, to create this picture of people who were living 120,000 years ago. They were living in groups of no more than 25. At that time, there were probably only about 7,000 people on the planet. Um, and in order to survive, those people would have had to be completely in tune with the natural world. Um, and what you were saying earlier about being able to pick up vibrations from other people in your dance class, I think that those people would have had a whole lot of senses that, that we don't have today and a, an extreme respect for nature because they were so dependent on it. Um, and that carried on, that kind of balance, um, for another 110,000 years until about 10,000 years ago when the agricultural revolution hit. And that's when everything changed, when we that moved away from being together. That agricultural revolution was a major impact. Could you tell us what made, what was the impact and how it's distorted things so much? Well, I mean, for the first time, human beings could store things. Um, for the first time, they, they thought they had control over the future, you know. So, and because of that, I think our whole psychology changed our psychology around sharing changed our psychology around this is mine and that's yours started to change um because when you're living in in a world where you have to be very very present because uh you know you might find an incredible bounty of fish and then you catch some fish and you dry them and you move for the next few days um and then you see what happens next but when you're starting to store grain and protect grain, and your whole relationship with time and relationship with the future changes. And your, your relationship with the idea of what's yours 
I think, shifts. And that, that changes your relationship with the community around you. Uh, and I think that's kind of where the beginnings of capitalism originated from. Capitalism or, or, or feudalism. Um, Anything that is what's mine is mine and what's yours, I don't care about. Uh, I'll take what I can from you. Uh, that's right. That's right. That's, go ahead. Gather society, you're, you're, you're very dependent on one another. You need to stay in good favor with everyone because the scariest thing that can happen is to be kicked out of the tribe because right. you don't want to be alone in a world that's, that's full of predators. And, and that's another thing. You go back to that time. You can go back even 200 years. Um, and the abundance of biodiversity was scores greater than it is. I mean, you look at Cape Town, let's go back 400 years. I don't want to go back because there were so many whales in the bay at certain times. You could have walked across the back of them. Um, <laughs> you know, hunter gatherers, I'm sure their lives were difficult, but there was so much food everywhere. The, the, the kinds of stress that those people would have experienced is so utterly different to the stress that we have in in modern lives. And I think um, I'm going to interrupt you right here on the past, and I would like you to talk about what we need to do and Im imagine for us the future that we need to be planning for. Well, I think. The reassuring thing about the past is to know that we are part of nature and living in harmony with nature is a big part of our DNA. Um, and I think that's a message that we need to take into the future. And I think a lot of people are going to be sitting in their homes for the next couple of months, um, unable to do the things that they normally do. And they're going to be thinking very carefully about their lives. And um, I think it requires a shift in values. And I think if we focus on spending time with the people that we love, um, if you're allowed to go outside walking in a natural place, um, I think given the way economies are changing, people are not going to be able to spend money that the way that they're used to. And I think that in many ways consumption is a kind of function of addiction. So they're going to have to channel that that need to consume into other things. And if you can do that in a more fulfilling way that maybe isn't so taxing on the planet then we could start to create a whole new way of being for human beings that allows greater balance and the amazing thing is when you look at what's already happened so far with pollution pollution clearing in china dolphins and fish swimming through the canals in venice you can see nature just needs a little bit of space and the system starts to self-heal So the destruction of the economies of the world will have the effect of having to be having to to live more in harmony with nature and find the simple things that work. What about the the population of Earth and what seems to be the carrying capacity? I mean, I think that's a really difficult one to to talk about. As as I'm sure you know, it's a very controversial subject and I think it's quite a complex subject as well because it all comes down to how much an individual consumes and, and an individual in a poor area of India consumes a very different amount of resources to an individual in America. Right. 
was uh, it was Terence McKenna who said a long time ago. He said, "If every woman was to have only one child for two generations, then very quickly we would only we would be back down to a quarter of our population." Um, and it's a very complex issue, and I don't and I can't say whether there's like a blanket rule for that being the truth. But I think if every person takes a good hard look at, at their personal contribution to what's happening on the planet um, and thinks about how many of us we are. And, and if you do have children, if you raise them with a set of values um, that looks to sustain, because what's happening here, I mean, we're kind of behaving in a very anti-evolutionary way. Every animal on the planet knows that the most important thing is to protect your children because that's how your genes move forward. But when you create an environment that is increasingly hostile for your children and your children's children to live in, uh, you are undermining the survival of your own species. So that's really what we have to think about is what do we need to do so that our kids and our kids' kids live in a world that was better than the one we lived in. Well, we've come to the end of this segment and the end of the show. This has been a very enlightening, very clear, uh, very important discussion for me and I hope for our listening audience. You've, been, you've really told us a good story. Uh, I very much appreciate your being on the show. Thanks very much, Bernie. You've been listening. Great. Go ahead. You've been, you've been listening to Connecting with Coincidence. Uh, our guest has been Pippa Ehrlich, editor of Sea Change, Primal Joy, and the Art of Underwater Tracking. Mm-hmm.